This church is a miracle. I've, I've mentioned that before, but I think it's important that we just be reminded of it. Miracles can seem commonplace after a while, and we, we forget what an incredible thing we are a part of. For our guests this morning, let me just take a moment to explain. We see so many churches around us, we begin to take church for granted. But possibly you're thinking about church buildings that you have seen here in the community And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people in the church. The church, or the bride of Christ, is not a building. It is those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their substitute, as their redeemer, as their savior. And today we're part of a very unique group of people. This, uh, two weeks ago, I was talking to a man and he asked, well, why did I move here and what do I do? And when I told him, he said, who gave you permission to start a church? He said, like, is there a committee? Is there a group? How do you, how do you know? How can you do this? And we talked for a little while. His, he's religious in his background but does not come from, and, and he does study the Bible. He's not, he hasn't placed his faith in Jesus Christ alone yet. He, he believes it's faith plus works that will get him to heaven. And I began explaining to him what God was doing here and how God's the one who is building his church. The Bible calls people like us, the church. So we we talk about the church. I'm going to go to the church and we're talking about a building, but the reality is we rent this building. It's very kind of them to rent it to us, and I'm thrilled for this building, but this building is not the church. For a while, this building was meeting in the Stearns basement, in the front room first, then in the basement, and then here, because it's not a building It's a people. And Ephesians chapter, the book of Ephesians is going to describe how we got the church. We studied uh, chapters 1 through 3 together, and that describes for us that God always planned the church. The church isn't plan B. It's not that when Israel failed, that then the church took Israel's place. That's not what took place. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us from the very beginning God always had planned the church. Just like from the very beginning, God had always planned Israel. You see, God is much more forward-thinking than what we are. God knows what's happening. So we come to chapter 4, and we begin to see the church is a unity and is a diversity. And last time we were in Ephesians chapter 4 was all the way back at January 20th. So you've slept since then. Let me just remind you for just a moment. He begins by talking about our unity in verses 1 through 6. And then he talked about diversity in in verses 4 and verses 7 through 11. And if you remember, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And he talked about now the diversity that's in the church. There is a unity among us, and there is a diversity. We're not all the same. 
Jesus Christ purchased and gave those gifts to us. And we, we spoke about that last time. But those gifts were specifically given for the church. So he gave us a list of four in verse 11. That is not an exhaustive list of the gifts. And that was not necessarily a listing of church offices. This was a listing, if you notice the context, it was about gifts. And what about those gifts? He says, I gave you apostles. I gave you prophets. I gave you evangelists. And I gave you pastors, teachers. And that listing of gifts that he gave to us was specific as he's talking about the church. He said, I gave you apostles, and those were for the foundation of the church. And I gave you prophets, and those were the clarification, making sure that we knew what was the word of God. And they, were, they had a special ministry to local churches. But as the, as the scriptures became complete, we see the apostles died off, and the prophets became non-existent. Really, the last of those we see is about in the 200s as the canon of Scripture was being solidified. And that's an important thing for us to know today. I, I got an email this morning from someone who was in the line of the apostles. That's not true. It is true that I got, a, that I got an email from someone who says they were in the line of the apostles. There are no apostles anymore because... Their purpose was completed. Then we see the last two that we see were evangelists, which was for helping begin the churches, helping evangelization, and then we see pastors and teachers. But you've got to remember, those gifts are specifically not for the individual, but for the body. This morning, the title of the sermon is Construction Zone. How does God grow a local church? Do we need to come up with something really cool and nifty? The man I stayed with in Virginia was a man that my family has known for many, many years. He was a pastor for a while in Indianapolis. I don't know if you remember Muriel Walt Coles, but uh, we were in his home, and Walt pastored a church in Indianapolis, planted it, and it grew, and then when he resigned, a new man came in, and the church just exploded in size for about two years, and then it imploded, and we weren't certain if it's even in existence today. And how the man grew the church was all on what we would call gimmicks. You know, if we can have so many people here this week, I will preach from the rafters of the church. And he did. If you will do this, I will do this. And people did it because they wanted to see would the pastor really follow through with what he had said. But it wasn't based on the way Jesus said to build his church. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 said, I'm going to build my church. So today, what we really want to do is we want to follow the pattern that Jesus said. And that's what we're going to be looking at in our text today. So how does God grow his people, which is the church? Construction zone. That title reflects what God is doing. 
when we were staying with the Orts when we first moved here, down in that section of West Fargo, there was some construction going on. There were some areas that was really hard to get around. But the whole goal is to make it much easier here in Fargo to get where we need to go. But in doing so, there's some construction time, and there's times when it's not as usable as it will be in the future. And in a local church, that's happening all the time. And in a church like ours, as I've mentioned to you, enjoy this right now. We will never have another time when we will have a church like this. We're going to be growing. We're going to be changing, and that's okay. But don't wish away what we have for what we don't have yet. And don't try to say, well, they're always going to be this way, because as a church grows, we do change. That's just what happens. Our son Micah and daughter-in-law Abby and uh, little grandbaby Sophie were here Thursday through Saturday. And Sophie has changed so much since December when they were here. She can hold her head up now. She doesn't wobble so much. She's much more expressive in her face. We loved having her here in December. We loved having her here now. I don't want her to be what she was. We just enjoy her the way she is. That's the way a church body is. Now let's look at our text together. And let's look at God's way of growth. Beginning at verse 12, he said, I gave you these people for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, as we look at that, what I want you to notice is he says, I gave you a pastor teacher. I've given you this gift, but specifically he's going to talk about all the gifts. So it's not just a one-person thing. Every person, according to verse 7, has been given gifts. You've been given a gift. I've been given a gift. If you've received the Lord as your Savior, you have a gift. And you say, well, well, why is that so important? It's so important because God says every one of us in the body are interconnected and we work together. Being a part of that body, you have a function. And God enables you to do that function. So he talks about for the perfecting or equipping. What that tells us is to have all they're going to need. The purpose, my purpose here in the church is that I may help you have all that you're going to need to do what God made you to do. This is not the end goal. My end goal is not to just equip you but my end goal, God's end goal, what he says here, is to equip you for a specific purpose. You're here for a purpose. So notice what he says. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, if you look at the structure of that verse, the commas make it a little confusing for you. But the reality is he's saying for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Those are not two different thoughts. That's a continuation of the same thought. He's saying the whole purpose of the body when we're together is to complete or to completely furnish, if you're thinking about a house, when you get a house, the first thing when you walk in, it's just an empty house. You've got the house, but you say, but it really needs something here and it needs something here and it needs something here. In our lives, that's what God is doing all the time. 
God is furnishing me to do what he wants me to do. And he's doing that in your lives. So he says, for the complete furnishing, for the complete maturity of the saints to do the work of the ministry. This isn't my ministry. I'm just a shepherd. I'm an overseer to make sure that we're going in the right direction. But I don't do the work of the ministry by myself. It's us. And as you look around, you begin seeing, oh, yeah, so-and-so does this, and -and so-and-so does this, and -and so-and-so does this. Sometimes people ask me, well, how does that work in your church? And I'll have to say, I don't know. You'll need to ask so-and-so because they're the ones who are really doing it. So how does equipping take place? How do we do this? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Why don't we just turn over to that so you can see the the, uh, verses with me. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. How does equipping take place? Well, one of the first things is by learning the Scriptures. You know, that's the reason why we take time and memorize together. For some of you, I I just appreciate your working on this. This may be a stretch for you. For others of you, you say, this isn't too difficult. I don't know what stage you're in in life, but I would encourage you with this. Part of the maturity process is getting God's Word into us, and I would just encourage you, keep working at it. Take those verse cards with you. Put them in your car. Leave them where you're going to see them. If you eat meals together, leave them on your kitchen table. Even if you don't get a chance to eat together as a family, leave it where you're going to see it. Maybe put it on the refrigerator if you happen to use that more often than some other appliances, okay? Put it on a bathroom mirror. Whatever you need to remind yourself, I've got to memorize Scripture. And it's not that you have to, but it's what's beneficial for you. If you want to grow, the first thing is we need to learn the Scriptures. Let's uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and notice what he says here. I'm going to read verse 6, verse 11, and verse 13. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Verse 11. These things, these things... What things? The scriptures. These things command and teach, verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, notice what he's telling us. The importance of scripture. Learning the scriptures. The second thing that's going to be important for a church, for maturity, is prayer. Dependence on God is what prayer is. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, as the church was growing, the apostles were finding that they were no longer really focused on the main thing. They were busy doing good things. They just weren't doing the things 
that really needed to be done for the church. And you remember what had happened was there were a lot of needs in the church, people that had needs. And especially in that culture, you've got to remember, people had moved to Jerusalem. They, when they got there, now they had received Christ. They were outcasts. How were these people going to earn a living? And specifically, how were the widows going to have a living? There was no one there that was going to take them in. Even if they had family, they were being rejected because of their faith. And the church recognized, we have a responsibility to help these people. So they were taking food to different ones. And of course, as in any group, what happens? Mm. We think you're playing favorites. Someone over here is getting a little more than this one over here. Oh, you like that person because they speak a different language or they have a different skin color or they, or they, or they. It's no different than today. So what did they do? They said, you're right, we've got this problem. But it's not good that the pastors, that the apostles would stop studying and teaching and praying. So look among you. Look for men that are spiritual men. Men that can step into this role. Men that could really help out with this. And you notice, if the problem was maybe because of a language or because of a skin color, they chose people so that everyone knew, oh, okay, well, he's going to be looking after that. He's going to be... Everyone wanted to make sure that everyone was the same. But what were the apostles saying was so important? Scriptures and prayer. You know, I found as the churches grow, the tendency is for us to fill times in. We say, well, we've got this program. We're going to begin doing this and begin preempting our prayer time. And it's not that it's a bad thing to do. But when things preempt prayer, we need to beware. Something this church always is going to need is we need personal prayer time, but we need corporate prayer time. We need to be praying together. What does it do? It reminds the whole body we're dependent on God. If anything is going to come from what we have begun here, it's going to be God. It's not us. So you notice he's saying, look, I want you to equip the saints. My job is to make sure we're doing these things that we are taking time to literally study the scriptures together, that we don't get distracted, that we're taking time to pray together. I thought this was interesting, and you can read this later if you want to make note of it. Colossians chapter 4, there's a man named Epaphras. Do you know what his main ministry was? He had addicted himself to prayer. And it was specifically not for himself, it was for those believers. The next thing that I want you to notice, how do saints become equipped for ministry? These next two are not real pleasant, I'll tell you. Let's look in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Beginning at verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 
Now I'm going to pause there for just a moment. I want you to think about what we just learned. What does he say is going to bring about maturity? So that you can be perfect, you can be complete, wanting nothing. He says, you're going to go through trials, and you're, you're going to go through testings, and you're going to go through sufferings. You're going to go through temptations, and you're going to go through trials. I don't like those two. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. But I don't like those. On the back side of it, it's okay. But when I'm going through it, it's not. It's not fun. And what I find is my trials, one, my temptations, and two, my trials are really hard, but yours aren't so bad. And you would probably say the same things about my trials compared to yours. Because you see, there are no set tests. God gives the tests that each of us need. So we have testings, which is James, and then we have suffering. The testings are going to be the times where we get to make decisions. We're, we're making choices. And I wish I could say, you know, there are some tests I've had over and over and over again, and some days I score really well on that test, and other days I do not score well at all. You would say, you know, if you miss it the first time, that's one thing. But the second time, I'll let you fill in the blank with that, what kind of person that is, all right? Well, that would be me. I struggle sometimes. I have choices that are before me. God tests us. We learn the scriptures. We have this relationship with him through prayer, and we see our dependence on him, and then he gives us a test. And that test sometimes is, oh, it's so hard. But we make the right choice. Sometimes we don't. But when we're done, we say, okay, I get it. So we have tests, but then in 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm just going to turn over to that. If you'd like to join me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect or complete or mature, establish, strengthen, settle you. After you have experienced, that's the idea of suffering. It's not necessarily that you're in pain, but it does mean this suffering means you're experiencing something. That experience, God is bringing each of us through different experiences for the purpose of maturity. Why are we, though, being directed toward maturity? Maturity is not the ultimate goal. Maturity is what we need to get to the ultimate goal. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Remember the whole point is, why are you so important? Because God brought you here to be part of the body, and you should be helping the body. Every one of us has a purpose. The result of equipping the saints is maturity. 
the goal of suffering and testing, what I want you to see today, and this helps me, the goal of suffering and testing is not negative. It's positive. I never enjoyed any of the testing when I was in school. I just, I just don't like tests. And when I was in seminary, as I was completing a degree in seminary, I then had to take a comprehensive test that really is a test I did not like. It's a very long test. And then they want you not only to take the test, but then they want you to talk about the test. And it's like, all right, enough already. But the reality is, why are they doing that? Because they wanted me to be equipped to do what God was calling me to do. So for the work of the ministry, literally for the toil, for the service of the ministry, every believer is going to have a work or a purpose in the ministry. When I look out and I see each of you, I don't want you to think that I see you as, as a resource to use. That's the wrong term. What I see you is I see each of you as part of the body that God's bringing together, which allows us to function and do things that we could not do without you. And the purpose is not for me to build something. This is not about me building a church. This is about Christ's church and building what he wants to accomplish through us. God, through scripture and prayer, raises up through these testings and through the trials, God is going to raise up in this group elders and deacons and teachers and every other kind of person that we're going to need. The impl it's implied that what is done for each person is done for the building of the body. So as you are building, as you are growing, as you are changing, understand that is so that Christ will use you in his body to accomplish his work. So, we, we move on to um, verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they weigh in late to deceive. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. I want you to see God's goal. God's goal is maturity. The process God uses in growth, we've seen, is going to be the scripture, is going to be prayer, is going to be tests, and is going to be suffering or trials. But now we move and we see the ultimate goal is maturity. And first, uh, in verse 13, we see it is Christ-likeness. First of all, he talks about the unity of the faith. Remember, we've talked about the faith before. It's not talking about my faith in Jesus Christ or your faith in Jesus Christ. When it talks about the faith, it's describing the body of information that God has given to us, the doctrines. He said, till we all come and understand what the scripture is saying, knowing what it says and embracing what it says. It's the same thing that we talked about from Psalm 119, where he says, how can a person change their ways? Remember, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? 
First of all, by taking heed thereto. By listening, you have to know what God's word says. But the second thing he says in verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me never wander from thy commandments. So there is first, I have to know God's word, but then I have to embrace God's word. I have to be willing to make it what I'm going to listen to. The way for church unity is to hold the same things, to hold the same understandings, to hold the same opinions, and to speak the same truths of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Remember how the Corinthian people, it was a wonderful church, but it was a chaotic church because they, they all had their own ideas. They all wanted to do their own thing. And the apostle Paul challenged him. He said, no, 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 wait. We need to all get locked in on what does the Bible say? What is the doctrine? And that's what's so exciting for me. I love the fact that many services, I will get a text from someone saying, I don't understand this. What does this mean? If this means this and this means this, so then what does this mean? Or you said this. How does that go with this? Because you see, my job is to teach you the scriptures. Your job is not just to listen to me. Your job is to listen to me because I'm teaching you the scriptures. My whole goal is to let you mature. And as you mature, as I'm maturing in the scriptures, we're going to have unity because we know what the Bible says. We're not going to argue about it. Well, I don't think we ought to do that. Well, what does the scripture say? At the end of the day, that's really all that matters, isn't it? So Christ's likeness, unity in the faith is what he's teaching us. Notice the second thing there, he says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is not talking about salvation. This is talking about a deep knowledge. The word that, that was used there um, by Paul has the idea of a deep knowledge, of, of really getting to know somebody. You know, it's the difference between saying, oh yeah, I know that man. But then you sent me an article, and I got to know your family a little bit better based on what you sent me. But if we really want to get to know each other, we're going to have to spend time together, aren't we? It's just the way it is. And that's the way it is with Jesus Christ. He's not talking about, oh, I want you to receive Christ as your Savior, and that's great, that's the first step. But there's much more than that. He's, what he's saying is, I want you to get to know him. Spend time with him. He says, to come to the measure of the perfect man. Measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus Christ is the standard. I don't even know if Zach can remember this, but when... Um, no, is Zach even... Was Zach born when your parents still lived in Greenville? <laughs> Zach's saying maybe a little bit. Cindy's parents used to have, in one of the rooms, they, they had a chart. In fact, at one point, it was just marked on the wall. And every time the grandkids would come, they would just mark it on the wall. And so you could kind of see where all the grandkids were, and you could see how they were growing and growing and growing. Maybe some of you have a chart where it shows they were this age, this age, this age, and they just keep growing. Well, you know, that's, that's the idea here. He's saying, using Jesus Christ as the measuring stick, how are we doing? How are we doing? 
when, when each of us look at our lives and we back up to the wall and we stand as straight as we can and we make the mark and then we turn and we look and we see, oh, this is what Jesus Christ is like. He's saying the whole goal is that each of us would come to the full stature that God designed us to be, Jesus Christ being the example. And you say, well, I'll never be like Jesus Christ. No, we know that in these sinful bodies we'll never be like Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is our example. And by the text, he's saying, till we all come to that point. In other words, he's expecting the church to become mature. He's expecting the church to grow. How did Jesus walk? How did he live? How am I doing with that? Then notice verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and by the cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. The idea here is of the slight of men. It's interesting, the word that was used there has the idea of, of dice, of tricks, like loaded dice, where someone is manipulating, trying to deceive you to get you to do something. He says, the whole goal is, is that we would come to this place to where we know our Bibles. We're not pushed around by, by this doctrine or by this doctrine that someone does to try to manipulate us to get to do something. By the, by the trickery of men and by the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. The last thing that you see here, first of all, he says, the goal is Christ-likeness. Second of all, verse 15, the goal is that we operate in genuine love. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. First of all, by loving, we present God. Seeing Christ in our Christianity. We were laughing about that as a family this morning. It seems redundant, and yet I believe all of us would say that's not redundant. When we live in such a way that people see Christ in our Christianity, it will make all the difference. You see, he says, speaking the truth in love. Truth without love is ugly. Love without truth is ill-defined. You don't really know anything when you're done. When you speak the truth in love, people now can hear what you say and not feel rejected. It would be my desire that every time we present the gospel, people would know we love them. People would know we are not rejecting them because we're telling them that they're sinners. See the difference? When you go to a door and you knock on a door and you, and you just 
cold contact are saying, if you die today, do you know where you're going? Well, that may be a really good question for them. But when I'm doing this, they're probably going to do this. But if they know I love them, then they care about what I say. I had an old seminary professor who I'm sure heard it from someone else who heard it from somewhere else. But you know what? People don't care what we know until they know that we care. And you notice what he's saying here? In a church, in the unity that we have, in the diversity that we have, as we are our construction zone and we are becoming all that we should be, he says, make sure that you speak the truth in love. There will be times that I'm going to be very intense in what I'm telling you, but my prayer through the Holy Spirit is that you will always know whatever I tell you. I love you. Because it's not about me. You're God's people and this is a body that is being built up and God has a purpose for this church. And we're just right now getting the foundation things together. I don't know the size this church will ever be. That's God's business. I do know this. He's going to judge me based on whether or not I have given you the scriptures, whether I have prayed for you, whether I have helped you as you're going through these tests and trials to not quit. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say, what have you done with my scriptures? It's interesting, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, remember how he said, you know, I, I didn't come to you in a show of strength. I came to you like a nurse that cherishes their children. I came to you loving you. Matthew 5.16 tells us this. He says, we show what we believe, and it causes others to look at God. Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we, we see three things. God's goal is Christ-likeness. Second thing, God's goal is genuine love to be in this church. Third thing, God's goal for this church is great power. Follow along with me as we continue. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up, the body here, not being tossed to and fro, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure in every part, maketh increase of the body. What causes the increase of the body? It's still not us. It's the head, Jesus Christ. Our power is from Christ. Christ holds the body together. For each of us is empowered by Christ. Colossians chapter 2. Let's just look at that. We're just at the end of our study this morning. But, but please notice this with me. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, 
vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, from whom which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knitted together increaseth with the increase of God. What that verse is telling us is don't let someone pull you away from recognizing it's the head that gives us all of our power. Now, I'm an under-shepherd. The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. He's the one through whom we get our power. He's the one that we're so concerned about when we worship. What are we going to build into our services? We're going to build in those things that bring glory to him and that grow the church the way God said to grow the church. So let me ask you this question. How's God working in you today? How's God working in you? We have all age groups here. We have upper elementary all the way through way past upper elementary, okay? Now, how's God working in you? Let's think for a moment just about the things that he showed us in the passage. What about the scriptures? Do we need to spend more time in the scriptures? I'm not guilt tripping you. I'm just asking, do we need to spend more time regularly in the scriptures? Do you? If you do, today's a great day to start. You know, don't walk away feeling beat up. Walk away feeling energized because God reminded me of something that I should have been knowing but I wasn't doing, and that is I just need to spend more time in the scriptures. I've mentioned to you something that has been a huge blessing to me. If you have a smartphone or if you have a computer, I use version all the time. It helps me to stay fit. It reminds me every day, hey, did you want to open this app? I get a, a reading program started, and it says, do you want to complete this next section? If I get behind, I use the cheat button and say, catch me up. And then, you know what? I'm not behind anymore. I'm all caught up. Why do I do that? I just want to know God's word. It's not about coming in here and feeling beat up or feeling proud. Boy, look, I've done more scripture reading than you have. It's all about, I just need to know God's word. And that's what I want for you. Are you intentionally knowing the scriptures? Second area we talked about was prayer. How's that going for you? You know, throughout the day, there's probably all kind of flare prayers that we pray, things that we just, Lord, I need help right now. I need to know this. I need guidance. But then what about an intentional time where we're just praying for each other? You know, it means so much to me. Many of you have said you pray for me. Thank you. I, I'm grateful. I pray for you. I want to see you grow. I pray that you would... Increase in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, that deeper knowledge. But it really reminds us of our dependence. Because, you know, when I remember that God's in control and I'm depending on him, life's not so bad. And when I forget, life's not so good. Third thing, the testing that comes into our life. Don't be disappointed when you're tested. It just means you're at the next step where God is just checking for you to see where you are. 
your decisions, and maybe how are the trials going? Usually trials aren't forever. They're also a measurement, and God uses those according to 2 Thessalonians. God uses those so that we can minister to other people. I think all of us have gone through some pretty bad hurts. Let's use those, understanding there's still good that can come out of that so that you can minister to others. And then what's our speech like? Are we communicating truth and love? Even around our homes. We observe things in our families that need to change. How do we communicate that? Do we communicate it in love? Or is there a whole lot more frustration? And do we say, well, it's just the way I am. Well, it might be the way you are. Is that the way God wants you to be? And you have to wrestle through that this morning. One last question that I want to end with. I'm going to let you Christians just kind of mull through the things that I've said. And if you'll just, don't fall asleep, but if you want to just kind of think about those, could I just for a moment ask this question? Do you know the Lord? I want you to know he loves you. He has a plan for you. But he doesn't force you. That's so amazing. You know, we think great leaders make people do things. No, the greatest of all leaders empowered, but still gave you a choice. You're looking for meaning in life and you're finding nothing right now. God designed you to have a relationship with him. Salvation doesn't mean you won't have troubles. It means you'll have a relationship with God and he will be with you and will guide you. He sent you an incredible letter and then followed up by sending his son. He wants you to know him. Don't think, well, I, as soon as I clean up my life, if I can just get good enough, I'm going to receive Christ. That's the whole point of salvation. None of us are good enough. We'll never be good enough. We need his power to be good enough. Therefore, we come to him and we accept what Jesus Christ did for us. And then we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now empowers us to do the things that we wish we could do, but we can't. Would you like to receive him today? If you would. You can do that by yourself. If you have questions, come ask. I feel pretty certain most everyone here would love to help you with that. If you'd love to come see me or if you want to text and say, can we get together and talk, I would love to meet with you. That's what God moved me here for. Construction zone. Don't be frustrated with each other. Be excited. When you see areas that maybe need to change, be excited that this is the right place to be as we study God's Word.